So today we're going to be reading uh, 1 Chronicles 13, 1 to 6. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord of our God, let us send word afar and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands, to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this, because it seemed right to do it to all the people. So David assembled all of Israel from the river Shehor in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Balah of Judah, Kiriath-Jerim, to bring up from there the ark of the God of the Lord, who was enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. I wonder at the beginning of the new year, what are we uh, resolved to do in 2024? Um, what are you resolved to do? Who are you resolved to be um, in the year that is unfolding in front of us? Who do you want to be? Um, who are we as a church here in Carmoney? Who are we resolved to be as the people of God into 2024? Let me confess, um, I don't have any New Year's resolutions, mainly because I am a failure with those things. Um, there's probably about a 90% chance, if I was to say I'm going to resolve to do this, that I probably won't do it. Um, so I don't actually have any resolutions. But this series um, that we're about to embark upon from First Chronicles is intended to challenge all of us with who we're resolved to be into 2024. I don't know when the last time was that you worked through the book of First Chronicles. It's not often preached on. It's a fascinating book of the Bible. And we're going to work through this and we're going to be challenged as to who we are as the people of God and what we're going to resolve to be into the year that is to come. We're going to discover much about the God that we love the God that we worship, the God that we serve. And we're also going to discover about the life of faith that we live and all that God calls us into. There are two verses in, in 1 Chronicles 13 that are going to form the focal point, the foundation of the series that we're beginning. And these are words of King David um, spoken after he's taken over the throne of King Saul. And so this morning, I want to think about those words um, that were read just a few moments ago. And this is a, an introduction to the series. We will go back to the beginning of Chronicles. Now, the first nine chapters um, are just a list of kind of genealogy. So we'll go through that bit quite quickly. Um, and then we'll slow down as we get into the detail um, of First Chronicles. But this morning, I want to think about these uh, couple of verses from 1 Chronicles 13, words of David as he takes over the throne from Saul. David, at this point, has been proven ready in God's eyes. He's learned to rely on his God for everything. David has an army, and God's hand and presence is upon David and King David, as he begins his reign as king over the people of God, David is resolved. He's resolved as he begins his reign as king. Listen again to David's words, 1 Chronicles 13, 3 to 4. 
David says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all of the people. Listen to that again. Let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed the right thing to do. We're, gonna, we're not going to get into too much detail this morning, uh, at this stage at least, about the Ark or the Ark of the Covenant. But let me say this, the Ark, if you're unaware, was a box. I think we have a picture, it's back one slide, I think. Slides are in the wrong order. My fault. Back one slide. The Ark was a box, it was overlaid with gold, and inside the ark um, were kept the Ten Commandments of God. The ark we know resided in the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And it was a special place of God's presence. It was the place where God dwelt with and among his people in a very, very special way. And it's this that the chronicler in 1 Chronicles 13 says that Saul had neglected during his reign. Saul did not inquire of the ark of the Lord. Saul neglected the ark of the presence of God. John Tyson discusses this 1 Chronicles 13 moment um, on a podcast that I've been listening to recently. I highly recommend it. It's called the Awaken Network Podcast. And in one of the episodes, he describes how there's this clear contrast recorded for us in 1 Chronicles. And it's the contrast between the reign of Saul on one hand and the reign of David on the other. The days of Saul, we could call it, and the days of David and the return of the Ark of the Covenant is a whole kind of story in itself. And we will get into the details during um, this series. But the point that the chronicler makes in one Chronicles is that the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the presence of God, was neglected during King Saul's reign. Saul neglected the Ark and he neglected the presence of God. The ark was left in a Judean village for a number of years and Saul did not inquire of the Lord. And so the chronicler in 1 Chronicles kind of subtly but nonetheless um, quite directly reveals the spiritual priorities of Saul's heart or, or the lack of spiritual priority and passion of Saul's heart. And I think we need to be reminded, and it's good at the beginning of the year, to be reminded that as the people of God, we are distinct and different. And what is it that makes us as the people of God distinct and different? We'll remember Moses' conversation with God in Exodus 33, um, where we discover that it's not the people's language or dress code or diet that makes them different from all of the surrounding peoples and the nations around them. Moses says to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from this place. Because God, what else is going to distinguish us from all of the other people on the face of this earth? It's your presence that makes us different. 
I wonder, do you know that, that God alone was to be the one true king of his people? They were never supposed to have a king. That was never the intention. God was to be the only one that they looked to, but they were fickle. The people of God were like us, like any human beings. They were fickle and they wanted someone, someone other than God that they could look to. And so they demand a king. They ask for a king. And we read that God gives them Saul. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And 1 Chronicles 10, 13 to 14 will tell us why Saul is the first king of Israel, why his reign ended so abruptly. We read this, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and he even consulted a medium for guidance and he did not inquire of the Lord. And so we read that the Lord put him to death and God turned the kingdom over to David who would become king of God's people. Saul did not inquire of the Lord. Saul disobeyed the Lord. Saul drifted away from God. He inquired of other things other than the Lord. And so God finds another man, another king, he finds a man who's after his own heart. Does that little phrase fascinate you about David? It absolutely fascinates me. That there would be someone in the scriptures described as a man after God's heart. Whenever the Bible speaks like that, I think we need to take notice of the one that the scriptures are speaking of. God finds David. David takes on the throne and he is a man after the heart of of God. And the movement from Saul to David is dramatic. It's eventful, but in summary, we can say this. During the reign of Saul, Saul leads and he fights and he rules and he builds largely in his own strength. He does not inquire of the Lord. God is not at the center of his life. And he does not bring the presence of God into the center of the people of God. But then when we look at David, on the other hand, and it's really important to note, David is not perfect. David is flawed, majorly flawed, and David makes some huge mistakes. But significantly, when David comes to position and power, one of the very first things, in fact, the very first thing that David does is this. The very first movement as king of the people of God is this. He says, let us bring back the ark of God Let's bring back the presence of God, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. Now that's resolve. That's resolve right there. David is resolved to bring the presence of God right back into the center of God's people. In that podcast I was mentioning a few moments ago, the prophetic parallel is made between this moment in scripture and what could be said of the Western church in recent decades. So I'm not talking specifically about Carmoni here, by the way. I'm just talking about the Western church in recent decades. The same could be said of the Western church. That in many ways, the church has 
has tried to build and to grow and to move in human strength, human endeavor. In fact, the point was made on that podcast that, that there, back in, the, I think, the 90s, there were a handful of megachurches in the United States. And everyone knew who the five big megachurches were. But they were saying that today there are more megachurches than ever before. And yet at the very same time, the church in America is in the, the fastest, most rapid state of decline that it's ever been in. The point was made that human endeavor, human personality is not enough. And so the parallel can be made with the church today over recent decades and what we see in these moments in Scripture. Largely, sadly, churches can and have been building and existing and operating in our own human strength by our own human means. And yet what's needed more than anything else today is a people, a people resolved. Resolved to place the presence of God at the center of it all. Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of who we are. Jesus at the center of it all. His presence right at the very very center. You see this prophetic parallel? It's a warning before each of us, isn't it? As we go into 2024, what are we going to go forward with at the center of our lives? Who is going to be at the center of our existence? Let me set the scene a little bit more for the series that we're about to embark upon. I want to go back to the time before the kings of Israel, back to the time of Moses, back to the journey of God's people through the, uh, Egypt and to, or out of Egypt and towards the promised land. You see, back in those days, we know that God had promised his people a land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, beautiful produce. But the people of God were so stiff-necked, they were so disobedient that it would take them 40 years to do a journey that ought to have taken them. Do you know how long it should have taken them on foot? Two weeks. It should have taken them two weeks. But as they leave Egypt and as they journey towards the promised land, it takes them 40 years because of how stiff-necked and disobedient and probably just plain stupid they were as a people. Did you know that our disobedience sets us back? Our disobedience sets us back. When we don't seek the Lord, it sets us back. And we see that in the, in the Old Testament as the people journey out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And it's in the book of Numbers that we see how God wants his people to be organized as this mobile kingdom who will move through the wilderness and towards the promised land. One biblical scholar, he says that the key lesson that we see in the book of Numbers is this. He says, God does not simply wait for his people at the end of their journey. He meets them in the wilderness to be with them, to guide them and to bless them on their journey to the promised land. Isn't that a great reminder at the beginning of a new year? Even though we are so fickle and our hearts are prone to wander, that we have a God who meets us in our wilderness. He's not just an end goal in our lives He's not just a God who one day in the sweet by and by we will get to meet 
for the very first time when it's all said and done. That's not who he is. God is with us now. He journeys with us, present with us, through the wilderness moments, through the mountaintops and the valley low. He comes and he journeys with us as his people, but he wants to be at the very center of it all. He wants to be at the center. Historians would tell us that, that when ancient kings went out on a battle, um, whenever they went on a campaign, the king of the nation would have placed his tent at the very center of the people. But it's no different for the people of God, except that their king is the king of kings. He's more powerful than any earthly king. And our God is to be at the center of his people. Take a look at this picture. Um, this is how the people of Israel were to organize themselves as they journeyed out of Egypt and towards the promised land. I'm sure there's a bit of artistic expression added into that picture. But take a look at that. See, we're reminded that God is a God of beautiful detail and structure. And as the people of Israel set off into the wilderness, the Lord speaks to Moses and to Aaron, and he tells them that the 12 tribes of Israel are to camp in their own tribal groupings, banners raised. But here's the critical thing. Each tribal camp was to face inwards towards the tent of meeting or the tabernacle which was at the very center of the people of God. They were to gather around and camp around the presence of God. What a brilliant picture of a God-centered life. I wonder, does your life resemble this kind of image? God at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. I wonder about your family life. Is Jesus at the center of your home, the center of it all? Is everything shaped around his presence, his word, the promises that he has for you and for your family? See, this tent of meeting was another name for the tabernacle. Excuse me if you know all of this and it's kind of uh, second nature to you, but the tabernacle was this portable structure that traveled with the people of God it was the tent where God dwelled on earth, his residence among his covenant people. It's where God dwelt and moved with his people. The tabernacle was furnished with beautiful items and rich fabrics, but what made the tabernacle holy was the presence of God, the presence of the one who resided within the tabernacle. And there were increasing degrees of holiness towards the most holy place. And it was inside the most holy place that the Ark of the Covenant was placed. 1 Chronicles 28 verse 2 tells us that the Ark functioned. I love this. The Ark functioned as the footstool of God's heavenly throne. And in a sense, it was where God's feet touched the earth. God's feet touched the earth. He was present in a very special way among his people. The ark contained the tablets in which God had written his law, his Ten Commandments. But the ark's design, its constant availability to the people of God and its ability to be carried symbolized God's willingness to go with his people wherever they went, even into battle, 
even in the loss, even in the pain and the heartache, the presence of God went with them wherever they went. Now we know that God's presence wasn't confined to the tabernacle. God is omnipresent, present in all places at all times. And yet this teaches us that God delights to be present among his people. God delights to be at the center of our lives. He delights to lead us from the inside out. Saul, how could you be so foolish? Saul, how could you be so unresolved whenever you became king of God's people? Why were you not more resolved, Saul, in your desire to keep the presence of God at the center of the people of God? Saul, why did you neglect what's most important of all? Saul, why did you ever think that human endeavor would ever be enough? Are we any different? Sometimes we act, I act and behave as if human endeavor will somehow be enough. Into 2024, our very best human endeavors will never be enough for all that's going to come our way. Don't we know that? We don't know what this new year will bring. But our human endeavor and our very best efforts to get through will never, ever be enough. We need help from outside of ourselves. We need help from God who is with us. And I believe that this series is going to help us to place Jesus, his very presence, his promises, right into the center of our lives. And I want us to journey together into that. The Ark of the Covenant was the place of God's presence. God was enthroned, we read, between the cherubim. He was with his people, present with them, among their wandering, their bickering, their complaining. He journeyed with them. We know that God is always transcendent, infinitely above and beyond all time and space. But God chose to make himself present in a very special way with his people. One theologian describes it like this. I'm going to slow down as I read this. Listen to this quote. He says, God is not bound by time, but he bound himself to the time-bound experience of his people. This God is not bound by space, but he bound himself to this box He's above all creational constraints, but he bound himself to them. He is everywhere, but he was there. What a God we have. What a God has us. He chose to stoop very low and to humble himself very far for the sake of his wandering people in the wilderness, but even more. He chose to stoop and to humble himself for us in his son, Jesus Christ, and then to stoop as low as death. Philippians 2 verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, for the sake of wandering, struggling, sinful people, 
God dwelt among them. Does that sound familiar? While they struggled in their sin and in their disobedience, in their wandering hearts, God wasn't far off. He wasn't disconnected from them. He wasn't operating at a distance from his people. He was with them. Does that sound familiar? God is not bound by time. He's not bound by space. But he's bound to his rescue plan for this world. Hallelujah. And he has sent us the rescuer. He has sent us Jesus, his son, our savior. Here's the wonderful thing. You're waiting for the wonderful thing, aren't you? Here's the wonderful thing. We are not people of the old covenant. We're not old covenant people. We are people of the new covenant made possible in and through the blood of Jesus, the binding promises of God through Jesus and through his blood shed for us. That's where we live out of. That is our hope. We are new covenant people. And so we come to Jesus, Hebrews 12, 24, and he is the mediator of a new covenant. And we come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. The mediator of a new covenant and the sprinkled blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. A better word. Jesus' blood speaks a better word over your life and mine. Who is desperate for a better word? The blood of Jesus speaks a better word over us. While we were wandering, while we were struggling, while we were full of sin, God came among us. The rescuer came. And so 2024, let's be resolved. Let's be resolved to put Jesus at the center of it all. It's where he belongs. It's the only place he wants to operate from in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of this church. Jesus be the center of it all. As we journey 2024 here, you know, here's the bad news. 2024 for you might be a real wilderness. I pray that it's not. I pray that it's full of life and energy and moments to treasure and enjoy. But you know what? For most of us, 2024 will bring moments that are more like a wilderness than a place of rejoicing. But here's the call. Put Jesus at the center of it all. It's where he belongs. The Lord is the one who gives. The Lord is the one who takes away. But as the people of God, we say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He was with me in the beginning. He'll be with me today and he's going to be with me tomorrow. We can worship the Lord through it all. Mountain top and valley low. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus at the center. Resolved to have the presence of God in and through the person of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit of God at the center of it all. That's our resolve. That's what I'm calling us to as a church in the 2024. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper in a moment or two. And this brings us, doesn't it, right to that point? That point that is so crucial to who we are. 
that Jesus has given his life for us, that his body was broken, his blood was shed. This table speaks of that new covenant God has made with us through the blood of Jesus, his promises that are for us. He, Jesus, is the great high priest who enters that heavenly temple on our behalf. His body is referred to in the scriptures as the temple through which we can now pass into the presence of God. His once and for all sacrifice makes holy those who trust in him. His word, his blood speaks a better word. So as we come to the table, we're going to draw close to God. We're going to go deeper in these moments into his presence. Maybe you've ignored God all week. Well, this is your opportunity at the beginning of a new year to draw near to him again as he draws near to you. I'm going to pray. Um, let me invite our worship team forward and our elders um, are going to prepare um, to, to help serve communion to all of us as they prepare and as our worship team Come forward, let me pray. Let's come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause in your presence. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit you are here with us. On this cold winter's morning, may we sense and feel the warmth of your holy presence. We thank you, Lord God, for the better words spoken over us, made possible through the blood of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're called, Lord God, in these moments to examine our hearts. Lord, and in the stillness, in the quiet, we confess our own waywardness. We confess our sinful ways before you, God. For how our heart is prone to wander to give in to temptation, how we're prone to sin against you and against other people too. Lord God, we do want to take part in this supper in a manner that's unworthy of who you are. Father, in these moments, as we confess our weakness before you, Grant us your mercy and your grace once again. Lord God, may we never be found guilty of neglecting your presence in our lives. Grant us mercy and grace once again. Draw close to us in these moments. As a new year begins, Father, we know that the best way for us to begin is with Jesus at the center. And so we thank you all over again that for the sake of wandering, struggling, sinful people, you came and you dwelt among us. 
The Word became flesh. Jesus has come, fully man, fully God, to seek and to save that which was lost. And that, oh God, is us. You came for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us, for coming for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing forgiveness of sin, salvation in your name. And we thank you that your blood not only forgives us, but your blood cleanses us completely from all unrighteousness. Lord, let that promise, that truth come alive in our hearts again in these moments. And so we can come, we can draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that our faith brings, that our hearts have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, cleansing us completely. And so we draw near to you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the better word and that you promise that whoever comes to you, you will never drive away. And so in these moments, draw close to us, we pray. And all of this we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.